0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Eyes and the Mize. My name is John, and Ian is once again out at Army Training. So I have conscripted Vinny to come back on the show to help talk about everything that's happened in the past week. So, Vinny, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I am doing all right. This is episode 61, announcement week 2017, because it is June 14th as of time of recording and we're halfway, just over halfway through kind of one of the biggest weeks of announcements that we've had, probably in a long time for Magic.
1: That is 100% correct. <laughs> um,
0: before we get to the main topics, which are going to be the Metamorphosis 2.0 article, the and Restricted announcement, as well as all the product announcements that happened today, GB Vegas is happening this weekend, and a lot Ooh. of content creators are out there, and one of our friends is out there tr- getting ready to try to battle in Modern for, uh, for that Grand Prix. And uh, go 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 watch go experience it because uh, Hour of Devastation spoilers start on Friday out there in Vegas. So
1: Ooh, exciting!
0: Very very. And they have that art show, right? Yes, the Magic Art Show uh, launches tomorrow officially. I've already seen a few pictures of uh, of the art show, and it looks sweet. Nice. All right, so let's go ahead and just get the kick the ball rolling, and let's talk about the first big article that came out on Monday, which was Metamorphosis 2.0. Uh, last time we had a metamorphosis article by Mark Rosewater, it was announcing how they were going from three set blocks to two set blocks, and then that they were uh, removing the core set so that they could play, so they could go to more worlds and go to the two block model of two blocks per year, and they were changing the rotation schedule and all that fun stuff. So the first thing that Mark goes over is the successes. Uh, success number one: more worlds per year, which was awesome, by the way. Yep. Just being yep. able to go to more worlds more frequently was awesome. Um, Regardless
1: of if they're new or not, yeah. just more worlds in general is good.
0: Yeah, one of the up. biggest problems, uh, which kind of goes into success number three, which is quicker storytelling, is that when you had one plane for a year, the story kind of moved at a very glacial pace. So mm-hmm. being able to move the story a little bit faster was definitely uh, more beneficial for making making it feel like the universe moved at a quicker pace. Success number two was more large sets alone draft formats because turns out that players love triple large set drafts.
1: Yeah, it's it's just all new. Like, everything about it is new. And then the the good thing about having large sets is that there is more like build arounds and stuff, whereas sometimes when you get that small set in there, it kind of messes that up.
0: I mean, which brings me to one of my things that I've been trying to figure out for a while is like, when was the last small set draft format that. I really enjoyed. And for me, I think it was um, Fate Reforged, Konzotarkir, Konzotarkir. That was the last, you know, small set draft format that I really enjoyed. Like, Oath, Oath Battle wasn't wasn't my cup of tea. I liked Eldersman, Moon, Eldritch Moon Shadows, but not as much as Triple Shadows. And I think Ether Revolt, Ether Revolt, Kaladesh was kind of subpar in comparison to Kaladesh. So Vinny, I don't know how you felt about the last small set format that you really liked a lot.
1: So I'm trying to think, for Aether Vault, like, I wasn't as big a fan as just Kaladesh alone because um, it just sped up the format a bunch, and you kind of just knew what you were doing once you got into the draft, whereas um, I think Eldridge Moon was probably one of my more favorite ones, um, just because the um, it, it really changed the actual gameplay of everything. Um, I feel like the, the mechanics really brought in something new. Whereas, um, Oath of the Gate Watch did what it needed to do in the sense that battle was, I mean, you just couldn't play green. You just did not play green in battle, period. And I think that that changed that. Um, it changed it enough that it was good. Right. So, I, I think I really liked Eldritch Moon. Um, everything about Konzatark here was good. Dragons was meh, but.
0: Well, Dragons was different in and of itself, but in any case. Uh, then the other f- success that they had was the Planeswalker decks, which um, f- they weren't really for the uh, the enfranchised players like like Vinny and myself and Ian. They're more for kind of the new players to get them involved and kind of get them in- interested in Magic. And I think that they did a pretty good job of that. Not having five decks to point players to and only like one or two is definitely helpful. And then... Uh, Mark talks about the challenges, one of which was the small set challenge, because and we just talked about it, how small sets were either you have Eldersmoon, Moon, which is a, a complete tonal shift from Shadows, or you have, you know, Oath of the Gatewatch, which is a complete mechanical shift from Battle for Zendikar, and none of the small set formats that we've had so far felt right, if that makes sense. Um, the One of the other challenges he mentions is how they went from the 18-month to the two-year rotation, because players didn't like the fact that their cards were leaving so quickly in Standard. And uh, then the another the other few challenges were no core set because there's no place to put certain reprints that people will want for you know whether they want them for standard or if they want to see a modern reprint or anything like that, because you know, for some reason, you know, you can't put Inquisition to Kozelec in Oath of the Gatewatch because it's not devoid. You can't put Ghostfire into Battle for Zendikar because even though it's colorless, it's not an Eldrazi spell. Um, kind of the two examples that Mark puts out in the article, um, and, you know, lacking a core set doesn't give you a spot to kind of put these real, just generic cards into standard.
1: Yeah. And, and then it just doesn't fit in with the flavor sometimes. And I think that's more important to a set than just having a card for standard. Yeah. Uh,
0: another challenge that they had was that there was just too much of focus on the Gatewatch and... I feel like they needed to do it for Battle and for Shadows, and I think for Kaladesh as well, because they needed to kind of build this ramp up for the Gatewatch to get to get you to care about them, to get you to then treat them kind of like their Justice League. But it did; it was a little much when you know the best cards in Standard were Gatewatch characters, or they were the story cards that were being that were being you know shown, or how Emrakul was you know big and splashy and powerful, but it was just not fun. In Standard, which is why Emberkul got banned.
1: Right. So, but my thing, though, is... um, They really, really went deep in the Gatewatch, which was fine. But these are characters that we've already grown to love. So I just didn't understand why they, like, continuously needed to... Like, what about it? What about this Justice League was necessary? You know what I mean?
0: Well, I think it's more so to just have a consistent story. And make sure that there's always, like, the face of your story. Because... Um, Oh, I see. Like, one of the big things that Evan Irwin of Magic Show and the Magic Mike's podcast likes to harp on is, you know, Magic didn't have a Mickey Mouse. Right. Like, they don't have – they didn't have someone who you could just point to and go, here's our mascot. And now we've got the Gatewatch is kind of, here's our mascot. So that's kind of the idea behind that so that they can have a a story beat that is consistent and is – and you can follow it and it doesn't necessarily feel like – that, like, this is just a, just a bunch of disjointed stories.
1: Okay. yeah, That makes sense.
0: And then the other one was uh, the Masterpiece series, because while they were exciting, uh, it it just... It got a little bit of a fatigue with the Masterpieces. Yeah. Because you open them, they're awesome, and then you look at the Amaken invocations, and they're just not, like, a powerful theme. There's not a theme like lands or artifacts with them, and they're just like... They're just really powerful spells, and... Well, they didn't. They weren't as resonant as they were for, say, Kaladesh or for or for Zendikar.
1: Yeah, I think if they would have stuck with maybe just instance and sorceries, it, it, that's what it seemed like they were going to do. It might have worked, but even at that, I don't know. I think it was too much of a good thing.
0: Yeah, and so that brings them to how they decided to solve the problems, and there was basically five big changes that happened. One of which Ian and I talked about briefly, which was the addition of the play design. Um, Branch of R and D, which is being led by Dan Burdick, and he's putting up an article on Friday in the uh, in the slot of latest developments because Sam Stoddard's stepping down and Melissa Datora is picking up that uh picking up the mantle of that article for where they talk about all the development changes. Uh, but the big ones that impact kind of the regular sets is that starting after the set after Exolon, which we're gonna get to, the fall, winter, and spring sets are always going to be large sets and they're always being drafted alone. So there's no more small sets because it turns out the third set problem wasn't a third set problem it was a small set problem. So how do you fix that? Well you just don't make small sets and every set's just large.
1: And so what what is a third set problem just for those who don't.
0: So yeah the third set problem kind of came out about came up around the time of Theros where you know we we were having these these draft formats where you know the first set was awesome. The second set was good, and the third set was just like the dregs. It was really hard to figure out how to make the work for draft, how to make the work for standard. And so they thought, well, let's just get rid of the third set, and then we have these two-set blocks, and then hopefully that solves the problem. But then instead, it turned out that you have these small sets that are hard to make work with the big set, and people just... They didn't enjoy small set draft as much as they enjoyed triple big set draft. And so... Getting rid of the small sets means that we have more, you know, exciting draft formats more often, mm-hmm. and it's the, like standard's always going to be kind of a little bit new and exciting.
1: Yeah, and I, I think it's it's definitely the right move. Yeah. Um, small sets just didn't make sense because I think it, it made more of um, a strain on them because they're trying to design something that works well with something else. Might as well just do something completely different.
0: And I think that, you know, if you look back at Magic's past, where you look at how they had these three-set block models, uh, and then you look at, you know, now, I think they had used up a lot of their kind of creativity, necessarily, maybe not creativity, but they used up a lot of their, um, you know, novelty index with,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: for example, you know what one of the most best-selling sets of all time used to be up until probably around Theros block? What's that? Legions. Nobody. You know what's special about Legions
1: zombies
0: it was the it was the second set in um, in the onslaught block which was the first the first tribal block but uh no legions was the all creature set
1: Was it really?
0: Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah, Legions is the only magic set with only creatures.
1: That must have been really weird.
0: Yeah. Uh people have asked Mark Rosewater about whether they could do another all creature set or a no creature set and he says unlikely and less likely. So
1: Yeah, good. <laughs>
0: At least for standard, at least I'm not sure about if a supplemental product would have worked for that. But point being, like the novelty of you know looking at certain parts of it, of how to make a three set block work or a two set block work, they didn't really they didn't really work out. Um, the other big big change is that the summer set is a core set. We have the core set back. Uh, they're now being titled core and then the year. So uh, we're gonna have core 2019 coming out next summer which is going to be fun, I suppose. But the idea here, as a kind of a change of how the sets were treated in the past. Uh, they're going to be about half and half reprints to new cards, which was roughly what it was. Uh, but whenever they get to a point where they have to choose on a card that's maybe not meant for constructed or maybe not meant for draft, um, they're going to err on the side of making it accessible for new players as opposed to the enfranchised players.
1: Right. Um, I I just think that this is – it's good because, like we said before, you can put cards in here for standard if you need them, but you don't have to. You don't have to stick to anything um, flavor-wise. I guess they'll do some kind of a story though, right?
0: I mean they could just take a break from the story for the core set, which would – or they can do kind of – uh, kind of like the While You Were Away episodes where they look Ooh. back at what someone else is doing off plane or you know, maybe Chandra's over in, um, in Ragatha hanging out, at, hanging out at Care Keep, making sure that everything – or not Care Keep, um, at the monastery there, make sure that everything's okay. Um, but I'm not sure how they're going to work for the story of that, but I'm sure that they have already have an idea of what they're going to do. Um, right. But then, of course, it's also this, just a place where you can put cards like Pithing Needle. Or Tormod's Crypt, mm-hmm. um, and put you know appropriate hate cards for standard in order to make sure that certain things get get kept under wraps. Um,
1: exactly.
0: Then starting an hour of devastation, they went ahead and they're significantly pulling back. How often the Gatewatch appears, as cards, um, and then another pro- another thing that they're going to do is they're going to design flavorful story cards, but only push them for constructed when they believe that it's going to lead to a better constructed environment. Kind of what the play design. Uh, firm is going to do and then also you know the gatewatch is, are is still going to be the protagonists but at we're, i think we're at the point now where this just kind of makes sense anyways but every member doesn't need to show up in every block and there may be some blocks where none of the gatewatch appear even though those blocks will still be relevant to the larger story
1: yeah it's definitely good what do you think about the the whole um they're not going to see as much play on cards anymore like what, have you, what are your thoughts on having two Chandras, having two Lilianas all the time? Um,
0: I think that most of the – for the most part, I think that you know, having one or two of the same Planeswalker in standard in, – in the standard sets, not, not, not counting the Planeswalker cards uh, because obviously you know in Kaladesh and in Amaket we have two Lilies or two Chandras. Right. I think that in some cases it's fine as long as you know, the overlap isn't huge. Obviously the Gideon of the Trials Gideon ally of Zendikar problem is unique. With how the you know rotation schedule ended up working out, mm-hmm. um, but like I'm fine. I'm generally fine with having like two co- two copies of the same planeswalker in Standard, uh, especially if they do drastically different things. Like Liliana the Last Hope and Liliana Death's Majesty do very different things, and they go in very different decks, despite being yeah. kind of the same mechanical space. I feel like one kind of feeds the other. I mean, like, yeah, we- but you can't have both of them in play at the same time.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I just – I was never a big fan of that. I I never really saw the point. I'd rather see like new Planeswalkers, so I'm really glad that they're doing this.
0: I mean obviously we want to see new characters, but we also want to see characters come back. Um, And kind of the Game Watch did kind of eat up a lot of space for returning Planeswalkers. Like a lot of people want to see Garrick. What's Garrick up to? Yeah, really. Um, What is he up to? (laughs) He's hunting things. Don't worry about it. Really, really mad about it. Uh, Masterpiece series is going to be in fewer sets. So while there are Masterpieces in Hour of Devastation, starting at Ixalan, we're not going to have Masterpieces every set, which is nice. And those are kind of the big... those are the big takeaways from uh Metamorphosis 2.0. We're still doing the two-year... or the the two-year um, standard rotation. So your standard at its largest is going to be six large sets and two core sets. And at its smallest, it'll be... Uh four large sets in a core set.
1: So five sets total. What was the big one you
0: said? Uh it'll be uh two core sets and six large sets. That's
1: so pretty eight big. sets.
0: Which is, is that big. is that how big it would have been
1: like had they done it the same way like, the same way they're doing now?
0: Uh at two year rotation, roughly. Um there was a blog post that Mark Rosewater did where somebody was like, um so the largest standard ever was Time Spiral Lorwyn because it included a core set and cold snap. And at its largest standard, will still be 175 cards smaller than that format was. Okay. So it's still a lot. It's still going to be huge, but right. You know. I think
1: it's a good thing ultimately.
0: Yes, um, well, but it's... I mean, anytime you have a set right before a rotation, a right before a rotation, it's always going to be pretty, uh, pretty significant, anyways.
1: Yeah. Definitely.
0: Yeah. But that basically is it for Metamorphosis 2.0, and for the most part, I think all these changes are good. I think that, you know, for the casual and the uh, the casual player and the competitive player and the spikes and the tournament and the pros and all that, it's going to be r- overall good.
1: Yeah, especially the the whole just only large sets from here on out. I think that was the biggest um, yay I heard from, you know, audiences all over.
0: Yeah. So that brings us into Tuesday, June 13th, when we had uh, the band and restricted announcement that this is the kind of the five week post pro tour uh, BNR announcement. And it was one sentence, very straightforward. Etherworks Marvel, banned in standard, as of June 19th. And that's when I went, yay! (laughs) (laughs) Because Vinny is kind of our our, our go-to standard guy. So Vinny, go ahead and uh, tell us why this is a good thing.
1: Well, multiple reasons. Um, We'll start with the fact that you shouldn't be able to cast 10 drops on turn 4. (laughs) <laughs> seems reasonable um, yeah so one of the biggest things with that and I've heard differing opinions back and forth and um, ultimately there's a lot of pros that are saying that this is a really good change um, if you guys haven't done so you should definitely go check out Mike Segris article on Channel Fireball he, he just put up a, a really really good one um, and I think it's titled Wizards Got It Right and it basically just gives this whole, like, um, outline of, of why exactly this is the, the change that was necessary. Um, so in the article, in the BNR announcement, they kind of talked about how, um, there were some other decks and uh, that had a favorable, favorable matchup, uh, against it. About eight out of 10 had an above 50% win rate. But the thing is, nothing was over 60% win rate over it. Um, but, and then on top of that, you would turn four Ulamog about 10% of the time, uh, Frank Carson estimated. So, um, that's just not fun. When it's just unbeatable on turn four, you know?
0: Yeah. So, so. as a, as a competitive player, would you rather play against this 10, this deck that 10% of the time wins on turn four, or the Sahili combo slash Splinter Twin style combo? That also wins on turn four, but there, it's just I just (laughs) do it on the spot.
1: Um, hmm. I think I will say I think it's this one just because it's not. uh, hmm. It's hard to. It's hard to. I don't know. (laughs) I feel like the Splinter Twin type combo has more interaction with it, so if you. Which does make for a more fun game. I think interaction is necessary for magic. Um, if you're not having interaction, then what's the point of playing? Um, unless you're a storm player, so, you know, no offense to y'all. I don't, I but, don't know uh, what you
0: mean by that. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, but this was, this was different. This wasn't no interaction. It was interaction. Um, but even if you interacted with it, you would likely just lose. I mean, They'll go turn four Ulamog, take two of your lands, right? Even if you play a land the next turn and it say Anguish I'm making it, uh, you're still behind two turns. You just, like, got time-locked twice. So, uh, I don't know. It, it's just not good.
0: Okay. So, um, we've got, so now basically the fact that, you know, we're not casting Ulamog on turn four anymore, or, you know, back when back in January when people were casting Ember Ghouls on turn four, you know, we're right. not seeing any of that. So, I guess the big question now is, well, they banned Embercleave because Embercleave was a payload for for Marvel, why not ban Ulamog instead?
1: Well, other thing with Embercleave just before I move on to this next point. It was not just a payload for Marvel, like that wasn't I don't think that was the reason it got banned. The fact that it could just take over somebody's turn was again not fun, and I think that's the same problem that this uh, deck is facing. Where it's just not fun for the opponent and it's not fun for both teams. The, the net positive is not there. Okay. Um, but yeah, so the, the reason not to ban Ulamog is that Ulamog wasn't inherently the problem. Um, Marvel, A, I think with energy being this new mechanic, they didn't exactly know, um, how much energy things should cost. Um, and I think same thing with, um, that happened with Coco, where, they thought it was going to be this fun build around. And it turns out that it was just broken, and um, and that that's exactly what's happening now, or happened. Not anymore. Um, they unlike Hearthstone, where you can go back and change what the card says. This is paper magic. We can't go back and do that, even if we oracle text it. That's just not the way that works. So the next best thing to do is ban it, um, which like off the record, this is just like me or not off the record, but is my opinion. I think that the liberal bannings have been really good. Um, although they do say later in the article that they're going to be pulling back these announcements. I think the next one is going to be August 28th, which is after a pro tour hour of devastation. That's primarily to, um, to avoid ban fatigue, which is good. I, I think that that's, that's reasonable. Um, think it's okay that they've been doing these liberal pennings though, because I think now Sanders is going to get to a spot where um, it's going to require multiple different decks. And I'd rather it be this triangle where deck A beats B, deck B beats C, and deck C beats A than have just one thing that is good against 50% of the field, and there's 10 other decks that are just trying to swim, keep their head above water.
0: So I, I, I will talk about that a little bit later, but let's go ahead and uh, finish up with this topic and then we can... Then I'll, then I'll go ahead and unload on uh, my thoughts on that on that point specifically. So, again, just why not ban Ulamog?
1: So, the other big thing, other than the fact that Aetherworks Marvel in itself was uh, kind of broken or they wasn't exactly the way that they should have made it, a 10-drop is supposed to do something crazy, right? Like... A 10 drop mythic Aldrazi Titan, you would think, is gonna do something really, really good. Because on turn 10, when you're naturally supposed to, you know, play that card, it should be doing something significant. However, when you take that card and you play it on turn 4, that's, that's when it's a problem. And so, it doesn't matter what 7, 8, 9, 10 drop that it is that you're dropping on turn 4, if you can do any of that, even just Having a Chandra on turn four is still backbreaking sometimes. So, um, there's already talk of, of Bolas being a problem on turn four. And so, just cut the middle man out. It's not the, those end game things that are the problem. In, in a traditional ramp deck, Ulamog is fine because if they are on turn eight or nine, they have eight or nine lands. Taking two lands away from them is fine compared to if they only have four lands and you're taking two. Well, they're just not going to win the game.
0: Yeah. And I mean, again, uh, we don't know what Nicol Bolas does per se, um, and go- I'm just going to go and remind our viewers that we don't necessarily talk about any leaked cards, whether or not Nic- whether or not Wizards did it on their own. We just uh, we're just assuming that you know the Nicobolis is going to be a good card. We're pres- we're just right. assuming that Nicobolis look the last one is going to you know? be good. Yeah, right. Like last Nicol Bolas was an eight mana Planeswalker whose whose minus ability was Mind Control and plus ability was essentially a Maelstrom Pulse. Right. It's ridiculous. I mean
1: if, if- Ugin gave us any insight onto how, uh, big dragon planeswalkers work, uh, they're good. So, you know, again, it's just anything that is a seven plus drop card is gonna be good on turn four, and then that is, that is inherently the problem. It's not, it's nothing other than that.
0: Alright. So, here, so A, I do think it was correct to ban Marvel over Ulamog. Because again, like for everything you said, you know, Ulemag it was it isn't a problem; it's a function of the problem. And I think that, and I said this before, that I think Aetherworks Marvel is a very, very fun card that is incredibly problematic competitively, because you get yeah. into these points where you know you spend the Marvel and you get this, you get this excitement of, oh, did they hit? Oh, did they hit? Did they find their payload? Oh, did they get their, you know, their Titan or whatever? And then. If you whiff, it's terrible. But if you hit, it's backbreaking for your opponent. And those games aren't, like you said, they're not fun, right? So while I think Marvel is a fundamentally fun card, I think that its execution and Standard is was fun is makes it you know fundamentally unfun.
1: Yeah, um, I think it's a zero sum game. Like you know they they spin it. If they if you whiff, right, um, you lose. You know you're you're essentially like losing that value. If you hit it then your opponent loses. So it's not like we're both doing something this entire game. Like, either I'm not doing anything, or you're not going to be doing anything. And I mean, look
0: at the pro stream, where whenever Marvel was on camera and they had the advantage bar, they spin the Marvel, they whiff, the advantage bar goes wildly to their opponent. When they hit Ulamogu, mm-hmm. it goes wildly to the Marvel player. Right. So that's one thing about it. Um, now... That said, you mentioned Hearthstone, and Hearthstone and car- and games like it, they can do live updating, basically. And if you want to know why Magic doesn't do stuff like that, uh, go look up the uh, printing history of Howling Mine uh, as an example for why they don't do functional errata or anything like that anymore. And I think that Marvel would be fine if it was, like, 8 energy to activate, or maybe if it was 5 mana, but then again, if it's 5 mana, doesn't interact well with Spell Queller, and then you get into this whole thing because right. here's my thing about your 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 kind of point of the liberal bannings being good to try to get a good standard which I do agree with but there's this problem where let's say that I have an ecosystem that consists of foxes and rabbits and the foxes okay. eat the rabbits
1: i'm going to love this keep going <laughs>
0: If too many fo- if if the fox population gets too big and the rabbits you know they go down in population then the foxes well then, you know, appropriately, you know, their population will go down so the rabbits can repopulate and you get this kind of this ebb and flow of the rabbit and fox population. Okay? okay. But then let's say that we add in another pe- another predator that also eats rabbits and is better at it than the foxes. Then the foxes die out. It's a, that's a super simple kind of predator prey model and there's a lot of these in mathematics. Just in general, and you can look it up on Wikipedia, because Wikipedia math articles are actually fairly accurate. (laughs) But what I would be worried about whenever we see these types of bandings, I mentioned this when I was talking with uh, Rich Hagen right before the Pro Tour, is that you look at a card in this ecosystem that is standard, and you pull it out. And then you ask yourself, well, what what takes its place? Because A, there's always going to be a best deck. There's always going to be a best deck. Or a few that kind of prey on each other, like I said before. I mean, that's ideal. Um, but as, as Aaron Forsyth later says on Twitter, you know, their preference is several good, several best decks or a best deck and then the, a heavy metagame shift to combat that deck without, okay. without the best deck being kind of overwhelmingly dominant, like right. Marvel was turning into, um, whether it was, you know, dominance by winning percentage or dominance by amount played. Right. So, for example, let's look at, uh, let's look at Fatal Push, which was, you know, which is single black mana instant, destroy target creature with CMC 2 or less, um, and then with Revolt, CMC 4 or less. Fatal Push is an excellent answer to Smuggler's Copter. Mm-hmm. It's a one mana answer to Copter. Does that mean that they should man Copter? Probably not. Look right. at Aethosphere Harvester, you know, three mana, three, five flying vehicle that cruises for one. That also looked like a pretty natural predator to Smuggler's Copter. So does that mean that they can uh, bad Smuggler's Copter? Well, we don't know. And in a maybe degenerate style meta game, your Harvester would replace Smuggler's Copter because maybe it's one mana more, but it has a bigger butt and it uses energy to gain life. Um, then that could cause Aeth- Ethersphere Harvester, Harvester to then take over the meta game. Um, and you know, with, and Mark Rosewater and you know R and D they say this a lot. They don't. They don't want to ship a solved product. They don't want to ship a standard that they know what the best deck is. They want mm-hmm. to send out enough cards so that standard is open for experimentation by the public. Well,
1: and I think that they tried to do that with this last set, um, in printing um, to Center's Deliverance and Manglehorn, like, ways to try to, because uh, th- at the time this is when they were still uh, fell at our Guardian, so Manglehorn was good against um, the cat combo, and then um, Heart of Kieran was dominating as well. So this was an answer to both of those. Plus it also ha- just happens to be an answer to Marvel. And I don't think that they did their job. And that was a good um, representation of why it needed to get banned. Because even the cars that they're trying to funnel into Standard or funnel in is they're not working.
0: Yeah. Um, and so hopefully the play division helps with that in trying to solve kind of that problem where you look at, you know, Manglehorn is an answer. It's a great answer to Marvel. Um it was actually I think I don't know for certain, but I believe it was made in the window between Kaladesh and Ether Revolt because they were able to look at the PT Kaladesh um results and maybe emergency design a few cards um mm-hmm. in Amonket for that. I don't think Manglehorn was like targeted for the Saheli combo or Heart of Curin, but those are happy accidents. Right. Um, so yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see where standard goes from here because we have this weekend where, you know, Marvel's still legal. So it's kind of the last hurrah, um, which by the way, what deck did you send Doug with, uh, to Vegas? Uh, so Doug ended
1: up, uh, not wanting to play standard because he found out that there is a sealed PTQ on Sunday.
0: Fair enough. Uh, Doug is a <laughs> so friend who is that. in Vegas playing, playing limited. And if he two is limited, he's going to do the PTQ on Sunday. Um, and that's fair. I I completely support that decision of his. Yeah. Anyways,
1: although um, he was going to play Marvel,
0: but yeah. Anyways, yeah. Um, another implication that you didn't get to is that now with corsets you can have places to put answers like Pithing Needle would be an answer to Marvel, but then look at the Marvel decks. They're all playing Green. They can play right. Dissenter's Deliverance, and, which and they, they, were they were already playing. They're already playing main deck, and then Manglehorns.
1: And they had negates. Like they're... yeah. It was not going to end expensive.
0: up well. So. Now we get to the best part of the week so far, which is their 25th anniversary announcement of all the products that are coming out in the next six months, roughly, or a year, depending. Ooh. So, let's buckle up. What do we know about Ixalan now? Well, it has pirate Vraska and dinosaurs. That's all I need. Yeah. Uh, the The byline, if you go to the product page, is "Brave the Unknown." For centuries, the untamed jungles of Ixalan have hidden a coveted secret, Orazga, the City of Gold. But no secret can remain undiscovered, and no treasure can re- be taken uncontested. Unfurl your sails, saddle up a dinosaur, and battle your rivals as you embark on a journey to claim the plain's greatest fortune for yourself. Pirates. Pirates, Pirates. and dinosaurs. Uh, the key art has Vraska standing literally on a pirate ship with uh, people casting spells and a gentleman riding a dinosaur. It's gonna be sweet. My one fear is that Ixalan is uh, basically the uh, pl- is the name that Muraganda that Muragonda turned into because it, or Muraganda for some reason isn't copyrightable or trademarkable from Wizards' perspective, which would be sad. But hey, we get to see dinosaurs and pirates, so I'm on board. Yep. <laughs>
1: um,
0: after oh, by the way, that comes out September 29th, but we all pretty much knew that. Then they Mm -hmm. have uh, the Stake Your Claim, January nineteenth, twenty eighteen, where Rivals of Ixalan comes out, which is the second set in Ixalan block.
1: And so that's the last time they're going to do a small set.
0: Uh, yes. Cool. Yep. Um, and with Rivals of Ixalan, there's things about fighting your rivals as they're trying to get the big, the big treasure. Um, and then in November, November twenty fourth, we have Explorers of Ixalan. Which is an out of the box multiplayer magic experience that challenges you to defeat your opponents along the way as you search for the lost city. Ooh. So it's like it, real pirates. Pretty much, right? So I imagine kind of that it's gonna have like four pre constructed decks, probably a game board of some of some kind or something along those lines. I'm imagining it being kind of like a new ish version of Plane Chase or Arch Enemy. So it's not like magic cards in this. In these decks. I imagine... is ma- I'm going to assume that it's magic cards. Okay. But I don't know for sure. Huh. Um, we will see when it actually comes out. Um, for example, for those of you who uh, have gotten Arch Enemy Nicol Bolas, which has, which has come out, um, in, the professor of Tolarian Community College, he did a video where he basically treated Arch Enemy Nicol Bolas as a board game, not as a magic expansion. And I think that Explorers of Exelon will end up in a similar vein as uh Arch I Enemy mean, Bolas. Sure. Yeah.
1: Well if there's pirates, I just really hope that there's Rum.
0: I mean that's all I'm asking for. It, it this is a thirteen up game. Just
1: not Uh a darn. Anyways. Yeah. I see um, the problem there. <laughs> uh
0: moving on, we also have the announcement of the Art of Magic the Gathering Ixelon being available January second. Uh the art books are all fantastic and I encourage you to pick them up from your local game store. Um and it talks about some of the things and it mentions something that I am a. I'm curious to see what it is because the last sentence in this bullet point is saddle up your dinosaur mount and brave the unknown as you search the plane for a prize forgotten by history until now. So my question is, what if this prize forgotten by history is the legacy weapon? What legacy weapon? So for those of you who don't know, the legacy weapon is what destroyed Yoggmoth and the Phyrexians during the invasion. Uh, There's an actual card called the legacy weapon where you pay... Wuburg mana and tap it or something and you get to vindicate permanence, which is silly. Um, <laughs> it's like a seven mana, ten mana enchantment. It's weird. Uh Karn's part of the legacy weapon, by the way. Oh. Um, Karn was like the last piece of the legacy weapon. So uh what if the legacy weapon, you know, planeswalked to Ixelon?
1: I mean I would love to see Karn again. I want to see Karn That's again all I'm too. Saying.
0: Karn we need it, Karn buddy. Come on. You okay? Just let us know. Help come us on, Karn. help you. Carn, come us. on. Help us help you. Um, also coming out in November, we have a new set of dual decks, Merfolk vs. Goblins, which is going to look like looks like it's going to be fun. Um, and then we also have of, from the
1: vault. A lot of sorry, a lot of people are saying with the Mer- Merfolk and Goblins that that may not be the the Commander tribal. Then, what do you think?
0: Uh. It does seem more likely that the Commander Tribal decks, which are coming out in August, uh, will not include merfolk or Goblins. So, we'll see. I mean, those are some of the more iconic tribes, but, you know, they're not necessarily... Okay, That what I was about to say was not true, because I know people who have merfolk decks and Goblin decks and Commander, but...
1: Yeah, I mean fish.
0: They don't right. <laughs> tend to play the late game, like, say... A angel's deck or a demon's deck would.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah, sure.
0: And then also uh, from the vault, transform is the new from the vault series with a bunch of flip cards Ooh. or transforming cards, double face cards, unless it is also containing flip cards from uh, from Kamigawa, because it does say collects fifteen of our favorite transforming cards, not necessarily like double face cards.
1: But, oh wait, okay. So I thought that that meant like they
0: transformed the game. No, I don't think so. It's the cards like that Delve transform. can show up there. So like Delver of Seekers, Jason's Prodigy, Garrick Relentless, uh, stuff like that. Oh, yep. See, that that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we'll see when, when it comes out November 24th. Um, We also have our next announcement, which is that April 28th, 2018, we get a return to Dominaria. Speaking of the legacy weapon, we're going back <laughs> to Dominaria in the spring of 2018.
1: See that the right there is is something that makes me think Karn actually may be coming back.
0: I hope so. I mean, last we heard of Karn, he was he left uh, New Phyrexia to try to find out where he left a bunch of that Phyrexian oil as he was traversing the multiverse. Ooh. So Ooh. we'll see. Uh, as everyone is probably aware, Hascon is happening here in a few months, and Iconic Masters is being uh, previewed there and uh, released later on in November. But March sixteenth, twenty eighteen. We get Masters 25, which is the official 25th anniversary celebration master set, which celebrates the 25 years of magic that we've had uh, starting back in 93.
1: I think that's going to be cool because it's going to take what Eternal Masters and Modern Masters and all that. They are so limited, whereas this, they have literally everything at their disposal. And it, its I think it's going to be one of the better master sets they've come out with.
0: I mean, except the reserve list like Eternal Masters had, but yes same sure. idea. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um yeah. we'll see exactly how it plays out. Um like seeing how it's different from Iconic Masters is going to be the part that's really interesting. Yeah. Uh but again, we don't know much about Iconic Masters. We'll probably have to wait until HasCon to get all the pictures and videos that of people there opening Iconic Masters flights. So anyways, and then July 20th, 2018, uh over a year from now, just like a week, a year and a week The core sets are coming back with core 2019, Mm -hmm. which is great. Oh, also, uh, something that was really shoehorned in here at the last minute. Um, we have a new unset coming out. That's right. People, December 8th, 2017 unstable. I I just love it. (laughs) I can't wait. Um, for, so a, there is a uh, announcement video, which is, uh, put in the show notes below. Um, where uh, community manager Nate Price is walking around to talking to different people about upcoming sets and releases. And uh, the last bit with Mark Rosewater and Unstable is amazing. Um, and it's going to be really fun. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how they pull off a unset uh, with, you know, what they know now. And kind of, as Mark Rosewater explains in the video, the modern design sensibilities. <laughs> So, it'll be interesting. And then the, the big question is, uh, which player, Psychographic, uh, gets a card in, uh, in, Un- in Unstable? Because yeah. we have Timmy Power Gamer, Johnny Combo Player, and I think we're supposed to get Spike. Yeah, you have to get Spike, right? But then the question is, do we get Forthos and Mel, too?
1: Hmm, I see. Well, I'm more concerned with what animal they're gonna base their, creatures around
0: right because unglued was chicken tribal and unhinged was uh, ass tribal mm-hmm. ass being donkeys
1: yeah so that's that's what's more concerning to me <laughs> in case you were wondering um, also i think i'm gonna draft this at maybe twice and then be like okay i don't feel like ripping up my cards anymore and well, throwing them all they, over they've the already
0: confirmed that those like Mark Rosewater had said after Blacker Lotus and Chaos Confetti that uh they're no longer <laughs> forcing people to destroy their magic cards. Thanks. very nice of him. Uh also uh you don't need to worry about things like denim walk because uh in case you didn't <gasps> know, there's a card called Herloon Wrangler, which has denim walk from the from Unglued. <laughs> and uh Mark Rosewater had judged the pre release for uh for Unglued in a chicken suit. And, uh, he exactly. actually heard someone say, in response to your declare attackers, I remove my pants. Um. <laughs> real story. Oh. Um, and but that's so, the guy that's trying to win right there. Yeah. And he ruled that, yes, you can take off your pants at in instant speed. So. <laughs> um, so yeah, they don't do mechanics anymore that are, you know, removing articles of clothing or destroying the cards. They'll force you yeah, to, you know, um. There's, there's a zombie creature from Unhinged that's working stiff where you have to play the game with your arms extended, and if you bend your elbows, you sacrifice it.
1: Ah, yeah. yeah. So
0: they'll do that. But it'll Next, be interesting to see... Of course,
1: it just makes so much sense.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> or it doesn't make any sense at all, which is the point.
0: I mean, there's Enter the Dungeon, and Enter the Dungeon makes all the sense in the world. What is that one? Uh, it's a black card. I think it's black, black, where you play a sub game under the table. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And the winner gets to, like, tutor two cards. Of course. Um, the funny part is what happens when you enter the dungeon in an enter the dungeon game. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Mark Rosewater has received asks on this on his blog, and he said that you can go to a lower level of your building if you have the ability to. Okay, or dig a hole. If you're outside, sure. Yeah.
1: Although I'm sure that your local game stores would not appreciate that.
0: Yeah, don't do it inside. Don't don't dig up the carpet of your or the carpet or hardwood or whatever it is that's in your local game store. Don't do that. <laughs> They'll make you pay for damages. But that's basically it for what we've gotten so far this week. Uh, there's another article coming out tomorrow, which I have forgotten what it's about. And then uh, there's the play design article on Friday where Dan Burdick, the lead of the play division excuse me, of the play design division of R and D kind of talks about the goals of the, uh, of the department and tries to figure out and, or is going not figure out, but tell us kind of what their goal is.
1: Mm. And then, like you said, spoilers start this weekend, correct?
0: Uh, spoilers do start on Friday, uh, with oh. our destination out on, out at GP Vegas. I know that the art show is getting a preview as, uh, Mike Lineman told us on, uh, on our podcast a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, I think there's
1: there's going to be a lot of um podcasters out there. I know the MTA cast girls are going to be out there doing a live show, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yes, they're doing a live show. Magic Mike's is doing a live show. A bunch of streamers are out there as well, like Wedge from the Manosaurus, the pl- the professor from Tularean Community College are out are both out there in Vegas right now. Yeah, I'm having um, some
1: serious FOMO about this whole missing Vegas thing. I'm seriously fearing that I'm missing out.
0: How do you think Ian feels?
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, like Ian and I, <laughs> Ian and I met at the last GP Vegas, and the fact that we're missing oh. this GP Vegas is just. It, it, Heartbreak. it, it's heartbreaking. Uh, yeah. so kind of the, to sum it all up, Metamorphosis 2.0 is awesome. Marvel Band in modern, or not modern, Marvel Band in standard is good. No changes in other formats is also good. We really didn't talk about yep. those. Um, um it,
1: it talks about it in Mike Segris' article, you guys. Yeah. You should read it. Uh,
0: I think that, uh, Death Shadow might be coming up maybe for modern but i think it's gonna it's it's adopting the timer wave problem of it's just a big dumb creature um Mm -hmm. ixalan comes out in september rivals of ixalan in january masters 25 in march dominaria in april corset in july from the vault transform and the dual decks are coming out in november oh and unstable is coming out in december so that is going to do it for us. Vinny, if people wanted to find you on social media or otherwise get in contact, with you, where can they do that?
1: On Twitter at Vinny one, one, two, five. Um, and if you just hit me up there, I'll go ahead and get back to you.
0: If you want to find Ian on Twitter, you can find him at DixonIJ, And you can also find him on Twitch at twitch.tv slash D I X. He is currently out in the field training. He should be back hopefully in a, in a, in a few days or so. Uh, being so intermittent without Ian is is rough rough on me. Anyways, you can Aww. find me on Twitter at jwiley129 and on Twitch by the same handle. If you see me in various Twitch chats, don't hesitate to say hi. If you want to reach the podcast directly, you can do so on Twitter at eyesandthemize. Or you can shoot us an email at eyesandthemize at gmail.com if you have a more personal question. And please give us your feedback. We would love to hear how we can best improve the podcast for you, our listeners. Uh, thank you once again to Vinny for joining me. And uh, – Talk to you all next time.